Püsilem. The scripture before the lesson will be Isaiah chapter 61. I'll be reading verses 1 and 2. That's on page number 620 if you're using the Red Pew Bibles. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn. There is a debate that has been going on for years as to whether the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Old Testament. A number of Bible students have tried to argue or tried to say that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is a non-factor, that you just don't see him. And maybe it's true that you don't see him brought out as frequently or as clearly as you do in the New Testament. However, it's completely false to say that the Holy Spirit is not found or mentioned in the Old Testament. The passage Corey read for us just a moment ago, Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2, is a passage that Jesus himself opened when he was in a synagogue in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. And Jesus read that passage, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And when Jesus talked about that passage, he said, I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. This day, these words are fulfilled in your hearing, and Jesus gave credit for those words to the Holy Spirit. A couple of other New Testament passages just worthy of jotting down if you're taking notes. Mark chapter 12, verse 36. Mark chapter 12, verse 36. Jesus says that David spoke by the Holy Spirit when he wrote Psalm 110. So Jesus affirms in Luke 4:18 and in Mark 12:36 that when one reads the Old Testament scriptures, one is reading ancient words that come from the Holy Spirit. Another passage worth jotting down is Acts chapter 7, verse 51. In Acts 7:51, Stephen, the great preacher, was preaching a sermon and the conclusion of his sermon was to look at his audience and say, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, as your fathers always resisted the Holy Spirit, so do you. And that's interesting when we bring up the question that I just raised. Is the Holy Spirit found in the Old Testament? Stephen argues in Acts 7.51 that people who had rejected the witness of the prophets in the Old Testament had in fact been guilty of rejecting the Holy Spirit. What the Bible shows then is that the Holy Spirit is divine and he has always been a part of God's plan to redeem, to save mankind from their sins. From the very beginning of time, from the very creation, we see the Spirit at work. A couple of weeks ago, we began a series on Sunday nights about the Holy Spirit and His work. And tonight, what we're going to do is just look at the Holy Spirit and what the Old Testament says about Him. If you just took your Bible and looked at the 66 book of, books of your Bible, the first 39 books in the Bible are called the Old Testament. 
And that covenant, those, those words have been nailed to the cross by Jesus Christ. And yet they're still in our Bibles because there is a great deal to learn from the Old Testament. Romans chapter 15, verse four. And what does the Old Testament have to teach us about the Holy Spirit? That's the question we're going to answer this evening. Obviously, I'm a preacher and I like outlines. I like things to be neat and tidy. I like things to fit into right boxes. And, you know, just in my mind, I devise, okay, if I'm having a Bible study, there's a bucket here and a bucket here and a bucket here. And let's, let's kind of systematize what we're learning and what we're seeing. It's kind of difficult to do that when we talk about the Holy Spirit and his work in the Old Testament. It's kind of hard to look at a number of buckets and just say, okay, this passage, this reference goes into this bucket. But I've attempted to do that a little bit this evening with our outline. And what I'd like for us to do as we think about the Spirit and His work is just put the things that we see about Him into a few buckets, maybe four or so this evening. And one's a really big bucket and you'll see it in just a moment. All right, with all that said, by the way, Last time when we began our introduction to this series, we made the case that the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is God. He is divine in every way. Everything that makes God, God, the Spirit possesses. The Spirit is a person. He's not just a force. He's not just some kind of, of, of um, impersonal you know, energy wave. The Spirit is a person. He is as much a person as the Father and as the Son, Jesus Christ, are persons of the Trinity. And when you look at the Holy Spirit and his work, again, the Bible affirms throughout that he shares equality in nature and in his attributes with God the Father and God the Son. A couple of passages along those lines. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are mentioned as being co-equal. And again, another passage in Acts chapter five, verses three and four, Ananias had not lied only to God, he had lied to the Holy Spirit. And in lying to the Spirit, he lied to God. So when we study the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, again, I want you to keep this in mind because it's important. The Holy Spirit is divine, he is God. You cannot add anything to him to make him more divine than he already is. And if you were to take anything away from him, he would not be divine in the way that God the Father and God the Son are. The Spirit is divine. He is God. So we're talking about God's work in the Old Testament, really, when we study this subject this evening. All right, all that introduction. Here we go. As you look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and what the Old Testament teaches about it. By the way, I'm standing down here and I know it's a little bit harder to see me, but it's not so hard, especially for these middle two sections to see the screen behind me. And I've got a lot of scriptures. I did this morning and I am tonight too. So that's why I'm down here. It's just a practical thing. I think about stuff like that. Um, so anyway, that's why I'm down here. But there are gonna be a lot of scriptures coming on the screen. My challenge to you would be just to jot down the references and not try to write all the wording that you see on the screen behind me. All right, with that said, you see the Holy Spirit involved in the work of creation. Scripture teaches that God spoke the world into existence. He just said, let it be, let there be light, let there be land, let there be animals, and there were. God spoke the world into existence. Psalm 148 verse five says, you commanded and they were created. And in that work of creation, the Holy Spirit is involved. The very second verse of the Bible says this, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
And again, in Genesis 1:26, what we mentioned a moment ago, God spoke within himself and said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Who is the plural there? If there's only one God, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, then why does God speak to himself and say, let us make man in our image? And the reason is because God exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of necessity, the Spirit is present at creation because God has always been who he is. He's always been the same. Again, a couple of other passages referencing the Spirit's work in creation. Psalm 104, verse 30. When you send forth your spirit, the psalmist says, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. And again, Job says something to this effect in Job 33, verse four, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. And so as you look at the question, what does the spirit do in the Old Testament? Obviously, and there are other passages, obviously he's involved in the work of creating this world and creating you and me. And so you ask the question, what does the Holy Spirit do? One of the things he does is he creates. He's, he's involved in the work of creation. Incidentally, there are more than 100 references to the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament. I'm not going to try to share all those with you tonight, but just give you kind of the high points. And so again, there's more to study on this subject than just what we're bringing up before you this evening. Secondly, what do you see the Spirit doing in the Old Testament? This is probably the most famous aspect of the Spirit's work in the Old Testament. The Spirit was involved in giving messages to prophets. Now in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well, the Bible definition of a prophet is not just somebody who could foretell the future. Oftentimes prophets could by the power of God, they could look into the future and they could talk about events that God wanted them to see in future times. But that was not a necessity. You could be a prophet without ever seeing the future. A prophet at its base is a human being, a person who receives direct revelation from God. That's what a prophet is. A prophet is somebody to whom the Holy Spirit is speaking. And so when the Holy Spirit gives messages to individuals, that individual, when they receive a message from God, an authentic one, is by very, the very virtue of the fact that they receive that message, they are a prophet. And the Spirit is the one who is giving these messages to prophets. David, at the conclusion of his life, is kind of giving a summary of how he's lived. And in 2 Samuel 23, verse two, David says, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me, his word is on my tongue. So where'd you get all those Psalms that you wrote, David? Where'd you get all those, all those wonderful things that you put in God's word? David says, the spirit of the Lord is the one that's speaking these things. It's not just me, David, it's the Holy Spirit. Another passage, Numbers 24, verse two, Balaam, Balaam was hired to curse the people of God. He was, a, he was a prophet, he was receiving messages from God and somebody hired him, Balak did, to try to curse the people of God because they didn't like the fact that the Israelites were coming through their territory. And so Balaam tried to do this. It says, Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe and the spirit of God came upon him. And no matter how hard he tried, Balaam just couldn't curse the people of God. He just couldn't do it because the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 23. Here's a passage about Saul, the first king of Israel. 
And the passage says, he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also, and as he went, he prophesied. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He's giving messages to various individuals, not everybody, but people that needed to hear a word that came directly from God at their particular circumstance and moment in time. Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse 20. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah the prophet, the, the son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, now listen to his message, thus says God. So the Spirit comes upon Zechariah and Zechariah stands before the people and he says, thus says God, God is speaking to you and the Spirit has given me this message. Why do you break the commandments of the Lord? Again, one more, a couple more. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse five. The spirit of the Lord, Ezekiel says, fell upon me. And he said to me, say, I want you to preach a sermon, Ezekiel, say, thus says the Lord. So you think, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. So Ezekiel is is taken, um, you know, taken up by the spirit. The spirit falls upon him and Ezekiel is preaching by nature of and by virtue of what the spirit has given him. Micah 3 verse 8, the prophet Micah says this, but as for me, I am filled with power with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So you ask the question, what does the Holy Spirit do in the Old Testament? And you find him at work in creation, we've noticed. And secondly, you find him at various times in various places. The Bible just comes right out and says, the spirit of the Lord came upon this person and they spoke the word of the Lord. So where are these people, these prophets, where'd they get their messages from? Where'd they get their information? They got it from the Holy Spirit, according to the Old Testament. All right, so those are two buckets. Again, I think, you know, I, I like to be organized. It's just the way I am. This next point is not organized. And, and I'm sorry, I just, I couldn't think of any better way to do it as far as buckets go than just kind of putting all these other things into this one bucket and just titling it. If you're looking at your outline, the handout, it just says, the spirit helped various servants of God. Helped, I, you know, I, I don't know any other way to say it. And let me just give you some specifics. As you look through the pages of the Old Testament, by the way, okay, before I get into that, if you're going to be a good Bible student, you know what you have to do? Open up the Bible and read it. Number one. Number two, let the Bible say what it says and don't try to speculate too much because the Bible's going to leave you with a bunch of questions at times. God doesn't need us to know everything that we'd like to know. And this is one of those times when I'd like to know a lot more about what the Spirit did with some of these people than what the Bible tells us. So what we have to do as good Bible students and as humble human beings, by the way, is read the Bible and let the Bible say what it says without trying to speculate or read too much into all these other things that we might guess about. Well, I think the Spirit does this and I think the Spirit does, just let it tell you what it tells you. The Spirit does, does, did this and let it be. That's what you have to do in order to be a good Bible student. By the way, that's also a way that we avoid false teaching about the Holy Spirit, among many other subjects. Okay, so the Spirit helps a number of servants of God, and He helps them in many, many different ways. 
You might even say it this way, whatever God needed done at a certain moment in time, the Holy Spirit was willing and many times available and active in helping whatever the cause was to be accomplished. So Joseph, you remember Joseph? Joseph is sold as a slave into Egypt by his brothers and he finds his way through a long series of events into the palace of Pharaoh himself. And Pharaoh has had a dream, it's really a nightmare. And Joseph is able to interpret the dream for Pharaoh. It's a dream about the future. We're gonna have seven years of plenty and then we're gonna have seven years of famine. And Joseph is able to tell Pharaoh his dream and tell him what needs to be done. And here's what Pharaoh says to his servants. Can we find a man like this in whom there is the spirit of God? And you might say, well, what does Pharaoh know about God? What does Pharaoh know about the Holy Spirit? Probably very little. But I do believe the Bible records the words this way because God and his divine providence as he inspired scripture to be written wants us to understand that this is a God motivated thing that happens with Joseph and Pharaoh. That God is the one through his Holy Spirit that gave Joseph the information and the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Can we find someone like this in whom there is the spirit of God? He helps Joseph by giving him insight. Secondly, just kind of going through the pages of the Old Testament, there are other incidents we might mention. This one has always fascinated me. There are two guys in the Old Testament book of Exodus that you've probably never heard of if you've not read Exodus, Bezalel and Oholiab. And these two men are special because they're slaves that as far as anybody knows were just brick makers. I mean, when they lived in Egypt, that's what they did. They made bricks, the uh, Israelite slaves. And they've come out of Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea. And now God tells them, I want you to build a tabernacle and I want you to build an Ark of the Covenant, and I want you to build all kinds of ornate items to go in this tabernacle. Well, where do these people who are slaves, who are brick makers, learn how to build all of these intricate, beautiful things? And again, it's, it's God's, God's items, God's tabernacle. We're gonna do our very best. How do you do that without making just crude, rudimentary artifacts? How do you do that? The Holy Spirit. Watch this, Exodus 31, beginning in verse two. God says, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, God says, I have also appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. God's Holy Spirit gave these individuals the ability to be superb craftsmen, artisans, so that they could build the artifacts for the temple, the tabernacle. That's what the, the scripture tells us. The spirit was active and involved in doing this. He helped Gideon. I don't know any other thing to say than he helped Gideon. Watch what the Bible says in Judges 6:34. It said, the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and Gideon sounded the trumpet and the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. 
I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell me what the spirit did for Gideon. But somehow Gideon needed help and somehow the Holy Spirit was involved in helping Gideon, this judge of Israel, to take on the task that he was given. It doesn't give you any more specifics than that. He gave strength to Samson. Those of you who are familiar with Samson, the man that was very strong, did you notice that as you read through the account of Samson's life, that most of the great feats of strength that Samson accomplished were done by the power specifically, explicitly of the Holy Spirit? Judges 14, verse six, then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore a lion to pieces as one tears a young goat. He didn't tell his father or mother what he had done. But Samson has tremendous strength and it's the spirit that gives him this strength. In Judges 15, verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted off of his hands. And so the spirit is giving strength, great physical strength to Samson. Why? Because God needed Samson to have great physical strength. That's what it boils down to. God needed Gideon to have something that the spirit could give him. God needed Oholiab and Bezalel to be able to be great craftsmen. And so the spirit gave those things to those individuals. The spirit blessed David. First Samuel 16, verse 13, when David was anointed, you remember, they passed by all the sons of Jesse and all of them came by and God said, none of these are the one. These are not the ones, Samuel. And, De- and Samuel says, Jesse, do you have any other sons? Oh yeah, we've got David. He's out there in the field and nobody thinks much of David, but he's the one. And they bring David to Samuel and Samuel anoints David. And when Samuel anoints him, the scripture says, the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. He blessed David. It doesn't say specifically all the ways that the Spirit helped David, but he did bless him according to this passage. He gave understanding to Daniel. Daniel lived in turbulent times and there was one night in Daniel chapter five, a hand that just appeared out of nowhere and it wrote on the wall, remember? And the king couldn't understand the writing and nobody else in the room could and the astrologers and the magicians couldn't understand the writing. And so the queen mother comes in, in Daniel chapter five, verse 11, and she says this. She says, there is a man in your kingdom, O king, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. Daniel was blessed with insight, with understanding of dreams and visions. And again, there are other passages in Daniel that indicate this as well. It's the spirit, the spirit of God that's involved in giving this information to Daniel. Again, very much like Pharaoh, a few passages back, what does the queen mother of Babylon, what does she know about anything relating to God, the one God of Israel? Probably very little, but I do believe the Bible records the words that it records the way God wanted them put in scripture. And I do believe we're supposed to understand that the Holy Spirit's involved in helping Daniel just as he helped many other servants of God. What does the Holy Spirit do in the Old Testament? He reassures the returned exiles. Haggai chapter two, verses four and five, when they come back from captivity, Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple's been torn to pieces and God wants the people after all the time they've been back in uh, their, their homeland, he wants them finally to start building that temple again. And so God preaches through Haggai, the prophet. 
And here's what he says in Haggai 2 verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made when I came with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. So God's talking to a bunch of exiles who've returned and they don't feel like they've got the strength or the ability to rebuild that temple. And God says, no, I want you to know my spirit is in your midst. I'm with you. I care about you and I'm gonna make this happen. Zechariah four, verse six, Zechariah was contemporary with Haggai. They were cheerleaders. They were both men that were cheering on the work of the temple. And in Zechariah 4, verse 6, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. That's how you're going to rebuild this temple, says the Lord of hosts. So he reassures and in some ways, evidently he blesses and strengthens the returned exiles so that they can rebuild the temple that God once built. Again, I don't know how to put all these in buckets without like a 15 point outline tonight. So that's why these are all in just one bucket. He helped the servants of God, okay? He provided transportation. This may not be one that you've thought much about, but let me give you a New Testament example first, okay? Just to show you that this isn't just out of the blue. New Testament example first, transportation. Acts chapter eight, verse 39, after Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch had their conversation and the Ethiopian nobleman is baptized, they came up out of the water and the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. I don't know what that means, except that the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Does it mean that Philip was levitated and flew off, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. It just says he carried Philip away, but there's transportation involved here. He's taking Philip, this servant of God, this preacher, taking him from one location and depositing him in another location. But that's not the first time in the Bible that such a thing has been mentioned. Because when you go back and you study the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament, you have passages like this. 1 Kings 18, 12. Elijah tells Obadiah to go and announce to Ahab that he's back. And uh, Obadiah says, as soon as I've gone from you, Elijah, the spirit of the Lord will carry you, I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he'll kill me. So. Obadiah is not all that excited about going to talk to Ahab because he thinks the spirit of the Lord is going to carry Elijah away where he can't be found. Again, 2 Kings 2.16, when Elijah is carried up by a whirlwind into heaven, the sons of the prophets want to go search for Elijah. And here's their rationale. Their rationale is perhaps the spirit of the Lord has caught Elijah up and cast him onto some mountain or into some valley. So apparently they're aware of the idea that the Holy Spirit can transport people from time to time, from one place to another. Second Kings 2.16 is the reference there. Again, Ezekiel 11.24. Ezekiel, and by the way, many people who in the Bible who had visions couldn't tell the difference between a vision and reality, which is fascinating study in and of itself. But in Ezekiel 11, verse 24, Ezekiel says this, the spirit lifted me up and brought me in the vision by the spirit of God into Chaldea to the exiles. Then the vision that I had seen went up from me. And so Ezekiel describes being transported. 
whether that's literal, whether that's in a vision, either way, the Spirit's the one that's responsible for this. Ezekiel 37 verse one, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley and it was full of bones, the valley of dry bones. Transportation, how did Ezekiel and how did Philip and how did Elijah get from place to place from time to time? Evidently, the Holy Spirit was involved in transporting them from one place to another. That's what the scripture says. All right, another bucket. When you study what the Old Testament teaches about the Holy Spirit, he's involved in creation, he gives prophets their messages, he helps servants of God in ways that God needs him to help them. That's, that's what he does. When, when a servant of God needs help, when God needs something special to be done, the Holy Spirit gets involved and he helps them sometimes in the Old Testament. And then another bucket is this the departure of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leaves you. That is interpreted as a curse. That's not a good thing. If the Holy Spirit departs from you, that's, that's a curse, the Spirit of the Lord. First Samuel 10 verse 10, when they anoint Saul, you remember Saul, he was head and shoulders above all the, all the other people in Israel and everybody thought he looked like a king, he walked like a king, he acted like a king. And the Bible says, a group of prophets met Saul when he, when he was going up to Gibeah and the Spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. So Saul was a prophet. The Spirit was giving messages to Saul and Saul was talking to these men. But then when Saul con continued over and over to persist in sin, in 1 Samuel 16 verse 14, the Bible says, Samuel rose up and went to Ramah and the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. 1 Samuel is an interesting book because the, the tension in the book is really where is the spirit of the Lord? In 1 Samuel 10, the spirit is with Saul. And then in 1 Samuel 16, the spirit takes his presence away from Saul and blesses David. We just read that passage a few moments ago. And the spirit is upon David now. He's the Lord's anointed. And the tension in 1 Samuel is watching the rise and fall of King Saul and then the rise of David at the same time that King Saul is falling. And the dignity and the nobility of David in not just taking it upon himself and saying, I'm the one that, that the Spirit is upon. I'm the one that has been anointed by God, but rather submitting to Saul because Saul too was selected by God as king. That's what's happening in that book. And it's amazing to watch when the spirit departs from Saul, everything from that point on in 1 Samuel 16 is downhill for King Saul. His departure is a curse. David understood this because in, first, in Psalm 51 verse 11, when David wrote that great confession after his sin with Bathsheba, one of the things he says is, cast me not away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me because it would be a curse. It would be a sign of God's disapproval, of God's displeasure. It would be a sign that I am, I am separated from God if he were to take his spirit away from his servant, David says. Isaiah 63 verses 10 through 12. Isaiah writes about the Israelites, they rebelled and grieved God's Holy Spirit. Therefore God turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. 
Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? When the Spirit is with you in the Old Testament, that's a blessing. It's a sign of God's approval, God's work. When the Spirit departs, it's a sign of God's disapproval, of God's anger, of God's wrath. And in this passage, it says, he removed his Holy Spirit and fought against them, turned against them to be their enemy. It's a curse when the Spirit is removed. And then this, last thing. There's a couple of passages in the Old Testament, I'll just refer to one, that promise a future work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The one I'm going to mention tonight is this, Joel chapter 2, verses 28. It really goes down through verse 32, but I'm just going to mention verses 28 and 29. And it's an Old Testament promise that is fulfilled very clearly in New Testament times. But people understood the, the Spirit of God. They understood that concept. If they had read their Old Testaments, if they had read the law of Moses and they'd read all these things that we've talked about with David and the prophets, they understood the concept that the Spirit of the Lord is a blessing. And God says to his people, there's coming a day, speaking back in Old Testament times, there's coming a day when I'm going to bless you even more than I've already blessed you. As a matter of fact, God says it this way. He says, there's coming a day, it shall come to pass afterward, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, just in the context of everything else we've said tonight, we're supposed to understand that to be a blessing from God. I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to bless you, people of the covenant. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then he gives some specifics. He says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. It's one of the things we see the spirit doing, right, in the Old Testament. Your old men shall dream dreams. Remember Joseph? Remember Daniel? That's something the spirit's been involved in doing in the Old Testament. Your young men shall see visions. Remember Ezekiel? Ezekiel sees visions and the Holy Spirit's the one that's giving those things. And so God's saying, there's coming a time in the future, I'm not done with you. There's coming a time when I'm gonna pour out my spirit and all these good things are gonna start happening again. There's coming a time when all that will happen. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, God says. So the Old Testament contains this promise and it's amazing that when you turn over in your Bible and you read Acts chapter 2, this is exactly the passage that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. When people hear them speaking in tongues and it looks like they've got tongues of fire on their heads and they're out there in the temple speaking in different languages and the people say, oh, these, these men are drunk. And Peter says, no, we're not drunk. He says, this is what Joel talked about. Day of Pentecost, church is being established, salvation's being preached, the gospel's being made known for the first time. God has poured out his spirit again on all flesh. It's a blessing. I will bless you in the future. So when you take the Old Testament and what it says about the Holy Spirit from start to finish, the Spirit's work and his presence is a blessing, his removal is a curse, and the Old Testament contains this promise of a future blessing when God's gonna bless the world in more and richer ways by means of the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. And as we understand and read what the Bible has to say about the work of the Spirit, these concepts are really helpful to keep in our minds especially when you read your New Testament. It's not like the Holy Spirit just showed up out of nowhere. He's been there all along. He's divine. He's God. How we need to thank God for the work that he's done in history because, listen to me, there is continuity. 
There's continuity from Genesis to Revelation, and we do ourselves a disservice as Bible students when we leave out Genesis through Malachi of our Bible study. Thanks very much for your kind attention to God's word this evening. Maybe you need salvation, the salvation that God promised by the outpouring of his Holy Spirit when anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. That's what Joel goes on to say in promise. If you need salvation, turn your life to Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, confess his name and be baptized because when someone is baptized in water for the remission of their sins, they enter into a relationship with God. And if you need to make that decision this evening, or if you'd like to respond and ask for prayers, heaven's invitation is yours. Won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.